morning is coming home. And when you talk about home to different people, you, get, you can get different responses. For some people, they came from a highly functional home. Mom and dad were there. There was always food in the refrigerator, and the place was warm. It was safe. They, they knew they had their own place. There was stability there. And so when you talk about coming home, it, it evokes these good feelings on the inside. And other people don't have quite that same experience. Maybe you would talk to a single parent about home and they think about, well, I love to be home when I'm not at my two jobs trying to provide for my kids and then you know, checking in and making sure they're doing their work and keeping them out of trouble. You talk to a kid in a situation with a divided house, and home can mean a lot of different things. Which home? This home or that home? Sometimes the kids are bounced from home to home as parents pit the, you know, one against the other there, and they don't really have a choice, and it's not always a, a safe time. Sometimes it's, it's chaotic. You talk to maybe a Syrian refugee right now about home. And you'll get quite a story because they've been driven from their home because of the violence and the war. And then oftentimes, if they don't get stuck in a refugee camp, they land in a place where oftentimes they're not welcomed in their new home. But yet on the inside of us, God puts this desire for home. When he first made Adam, he said it's not good for him to be alone. So he doesn't give him a job. He doesn't give him a government. He doesn't give him... Uh, a sport. He gives him a wife and the man and woman, then they have a family and they create a home. They create a home. There's a desire on each and every one of us to um, have that place of home. And it's a des- desire that that's, comes from God. Jesus said this. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. Some of you would know that verse because it's translated some ways, are many mansions, but that's not a great translation. Uh, others would say dwelling places in my father's house. Um, but what that word also means is resting places. There's places of rest in my father's house. And so that's the type of home when, when heaven is our home. It's a place of rest. It's a place where you can really kick off your shoes and, and relax and, and let down and be yourself. And you know you're loved, you're accepted, you're provided for. It's safe, it's secure, it's full of laughter, full of hope. You kind of, you know, you just feel good about home. It's kind of home that God wants for us. You've heard it sung about, you've heard it the stories told today about this sense of home, desiring home. You think about a mother who just gives birth to a baby, and she's in the best like place that she could be at that time, and she's got people waiting on her. You know, she rings a little bell, and someone comes and says, what can we do for you? The baby's crying. Would you like us to change the baby? Would you like us to wrap? Would you like us to feed? You know, you've, you have people waiting on you. But what does that mother want? She wants to get home. If you're ever out on your own, maybe when you're first on your own and you get sick and you think, oh, mom, (laughs) I just want to be home, right? Somebody to take care of me at home. You ever been in jail? Where do you want to (laughs) go? Home, right? (laughs) You're ever stranded somewhere, you run out of gas, 
I just want to get home. I'm so bummed right now. There's something about home. And that's something that God wants for us. Jesus told this story that you're probably familiar with, the story of the lost son. And he says, this man had two sons, and the younger ones told his father, Dad, I want your share of the inheritance now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. So he gave him everything to both sons. And so a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. He, he decided, I've got to get as far away from home as I possibly can. I don't know why he felt that way, but for some reason, you know, sometimes between the ages of three and 18, we think we could do it on our own better, right? And so he was probably in that season of life to where he thought he had things figured out. Plus he had money, baby. And so he could make it on his own. He didn't need home. Well, in this distant land, it says that there he wasted all his money in wild living. About this t- the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he, he began to starve. He ran out of his own resources. He thought he could make it on his own, but he couldn't. He thought he didn't need home, but he did. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Some versions would say he joined himself to a citizen of that land. It's sort of like misery loves company, right? Hey, we're both starving here. We're, we're both out on our own. Let's partner together. It's like sometimes two broken people try to get together and become whole. It doesn't work out so well. In this situation, it didn't work out for him either. And so the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You know, when you're out there looking at the pig slop thinking, man, that looks tasty right now. You are hungry. And he learned a lesson, a hard lesson of what this world is like. It says, and no one gave him anything. That is what happens when we're far from home. So I love this verse because it says, then he finally came to his senses. And when he finally came to his senses, that light bulb went on. He said to himself, at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please make me a hired servant. Uh, And it's so funny that he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. As if he was called his son in the first place because he was worthy, right? I mean, we got four-headed youngin' ourselves, as my mom from the South would say. And we didn't bring any of them home because we looked at them and said, that one's worthy to be called a Davenport. We got what we got, and we're happy about it. (laughs) But it wasn't based on their worth to us. The relationship, they're our kids. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I don't think that Two things. I don't think it was by chance that he just came to his senses. I think he came to his senses because he had a dad who was praying for him. I don't think he was out there on his own and he figured it out on his own. I believe God answered the prayers of parents. And then it says, and when he was a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him. 
I think he saw him when he was a long way off because the father was looking for him. I don't think he was just in his field tilling the ground and he happened to notice, there's that kid again. But I imagine it like this. He would go out to his porch every day and he would peer down the road to the house looking to see, is today the day? And so when he was a long way off, his father saw him and his father ran to him and he had compassion on him. He was filled with love and compassion. He embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His kid humbled himself. But it's as if before he even got to the servant part, the father put his hand on his lips and said, shh, shh. And then he calls to his own servants and he says, bring out the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He doesn't say to the son, son, clean up before you come into my house. You left a lot of stuff undone. We've got some talking to do before I let you back in here. But he says, put the robe on him, cover up that filth, cover up his past, cover up all the stains, right? The finest robe. And, and he doesn't even tell the son, son, put this on. He tells the servants, put it on him. The grace that covers. He says, bring out the, the, the ring for his finger, that signet ring, the one that says, you're one of us. You, you have the authority of the family right here. You belong to us. Sandals for his feet, that comfort. And kill the calf that we've been fattening. Not go kill the fat cow. Some people are like, good, because after those cookies, I might be in line, right? <laughs> Not just the fat, the fattest calf, but the calf that we have been fattening. Well, why have we been fattening? Because the father knew this day was coming and he was preparing for his son to come home. And so he set that one calf apart. He's like, you eat a little bit extra. We're going to keep you in this pen. We don't want you getting too much exercise. We want you really fat because my son's coming home and I want to throw a big party for him and I want to celebrate it. I want him to know that I have prepared a place in this home for him. And we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. I love that story about returning home. And there's two things I really believe that God wants to minister to us today. Number one is that God wants to restore relationships in your home. We see that in this story, relationships just between the family being restored here, father and son. And, and it's very likely that in some of your homes, when we think about these Christmas gatherings or just life in general, there's tension in the home. There's, there's division. There is a strife there. Maybe there's family members who will only get together at holidays, but that's just because you know, mom said. And when mom's gone, we see this happen, that families oftentimes, they never get together again. You only have one shot at life here. If Jesus was to make your household his home, what would your family relationships look like? How would you begin to treat others who have wronged you? Would you be careful on the way that you treat them? If Jesus was the head of your house, I believe that this Christmas, 
one of the greatest gifts that we can give is the gift of forgiveness, the gift of restoration, the gift of humility and love. Maybe this Christmas you'll humble yourself and you'll forgive somebody who's hurt you. Some of you might say, I can't forgive. I can't forgive. Is your forgiver broken? Can you forgive somebody else of something they've done? Yeah, but I just can't forgive them. If you can forgive someone else, you can forgive them. But it's hard. You're right. But it's necessary. See, forgiveness isn't an option. It's not an encouragement. It's not a simply a suggestion, but it's a command of God that we would forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. And by the way, if you're still standing here today and someone has hurt you, you you're doing better than Jesus. Because what he forgave us of took him all the way to the cross. And so in that same manner, we need to forgive others. And you might very well need the grace of God to help you with that. But when you can forgive that other person and the family, the friends, that that can be the start of a relationship being made healthy and right and restored again. And it also opens the windows of heaven for you because God basically says, if you don't forgive others, you are going to hinder the favor and grace and the blessing of God in your own life. You're going to cut yourself off there. So it's very possible that some of us, even before someone apologizes, needs to extend forgiveness. Maybe we would need to humble ourselves. And even if we think it was them who caused us to act like we did, that we would take the initiative and say, you know what? I'm sorry for what I have said or done. Because families, it's really an interesting dynamic. We can criticize, we can critique, we can complain, we can hold things against those closest to us, and we'll still get together and we're family. And you know, no one else can talk about you, but I will, right? And we can carry ourselves this way. And so I believe this, that one of the, the greatest gifts we can receive is that gift of restoration this year. You initiate it. You come to your senses, you be the one who's determined that I am going to make the most of these relationships that I have. By the way, even if you don't have strife in those relationships, it's very possible that, you know, when you get together and there's that one aunt or uncle or person who just sits on the couch and you really don't know anything about them, that you would dig deeper to get to know them and develop a relationship and actually allow the love of God to minister to you and through you to that person. Do whatever it takes to have good relationships, starting this Christmas, but not just at this Christmas. Second thing we see here is that there is a relationship that was restored between man and God. This is really what the the story is a picture of, about him realizing, I'm far from home. And if we can receive anything this Christmas season today, it's that restored relationship with God. Because this message, it might sound good for those who are out there and thinking, yeah, you know what? I should have brought so-and-so because they're far from God. But, but we are those people out there. And you can be in church for years and still be far from God. You can hear about them. You can know about them. You sing about them. But in your heart, you have strayed and you have wandered. And you're out there on, doing life on your own. 
And God is saying to you, come home. So often I'll talk to people who come to our church or have been here for a while and say, what made you, you know, stick around? And they say, you know what? I came in, I just felt this was home. I've talked to those people who felt that way, and then at times they get busy, things go on, they get pulled away for whatever reason, and then they come back and they remember home. In a very similar way, God is stable. He is steady. He is constant. This boy, he knew where to go and find his father, and his father was there waiting for him. Come back to God. If your heart is strayed, if you haven't given your life completely over to him, maybe this Christmas is the time that you do that. Maybe this is the time where you say, you know what? I'm not going to live for what I can get out of life. I'm not going to live for you know, going after this or that or, or just you know, myself and my own resources. I'm going to surrender all that. I'm going to give my life completely to God. This is, by the way, what Christmas is really about. It's a way back to God. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way back to God. That's why he came. And so this morning, let's turn our attention to him. Let's turn our hearts to him. Maybe both those things apply to you, maybe just one of the areas. But as we pray, receive God's gift. If it's that gift of restoration in the family, receive that. If maybe on the inside you think, I need to give my life fully to God, do that.